what's good? You're listening to Wasted Radio. My name is Matt, and on today's episode, I have Brian Barlow. He was the drummer for Animal House, and now he's an actor and a stand-up comedian in L.A., and at the risk of being redundant, I'm probably going to just repeat a bunch of stuff we talk about in the show in the intro here, so instead of doing that, how about you just listen to the show? I got two things that I want to do uh, talk about real quick before we get into it number one brian thank you so much for coming on the show it was great catching up with you i'm glad you're doing well best of luck in the future totally going to keep in touch um number two anybody that's listening to this if you want to follow brian you're going to find him at bd barlow that's bd underscore barlow bd underscore barlow b-a-r-l-o-w on instagram he's posting some of his comedy it's hilarious we're gonna talk about it let's get into it check it out so you're here on wasted radio um i'm here with uh, an old friend brian barlow and i'm just looking at his smile through the computer here man i miss you how have you been good man how about yourself it's great i I, i'm doing great man it's just honestly it's so good to to see you and reconnect with you right now because same here man same here you know i feel like the way that we met and um everything that you know like we kind of like all experienced together it all came to such an abrupt sudden end you know and uh I don't know. I, I, I feel like uh, I became disconnected from a lot of people, um, you included, and everybody's lives went in such crazy different directions. For sure. You know, um, and uh, I just, I, I'm really, really grateful for the opportunity to just chat with you for a little bit man i'm so excited to see you (laughs) it was like i was in the band the band kind of defunct a little bit after uh you know john and then i ran down to georgia and i was like let me get my master's in acting i should probably Mm. do that so Mm -hmm. well you know what that's actually a really good starting point so um you know brian barlow obviously uh who i have on the show right now actor comedian or can we call you a comedian yet? Yeah, I'd like I to call so. you. <laughs> I think as soon as you get in front of a room of strangers and throw out your comedy at them and don't cry or pass out, I, I think you can be called a uh, comedian. I, my God. It's so, dude, just a quick little uh, break from that real quick. I saw this thing the other day that they're doing in Altoona. They're doing a stand-up comedy boot camp. It's six weeks long. Six weeks long. And I was like, man okay you know i like i I really have always wanted to do it and it's really super interesting and i just don't even know where to begin i was like okay cool there's some people that i guess have had experience in it and i'm definitely gonna check it out it starts tomorrow hell yeah Um, dude congratulations that's awesome well no congratulations Ah. goes to you because (laughs) i saw um your part of your set that you put on instagram yeah. And it was hilarious, especially <laughs> like how you couldn't be a teacher and stuff like that, because yeah, I, I feel that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just honestly, I, I know that you are new into this and you're trying to uh, get into being a stand up comedian. 
for somebody like me, especially seeing somebody I know up there doing it, it's really inspirational, honestly, man. Because, you know, like you said, you didn't cry or pass out. <laughs> it takes balls. It does, man. It really does. And to do it somewhere where, like, I'm not from. I'm in California right now, and I'm getting in front of all these people in Santa Monica. It's like, socially and economically, I could not be further from these people. It really shows, like or you really have to try to create comedy that goes towards everyone. Yeah. I I could, I could sit at, you know, some VFW in Pennsylvania and throw out all these, like, you know, what sucks today work, (laughs) Uh, you know, but to try to connect to these Californians, man. Yeah. It it takes, it takes something special. (laughs) That's good though. That's And how long have you been out there? I've been out here, uh, for about a year and a half. It was July, 2020. I want to say we moved into our place. Uh, then, like I said, I got a job. I got a, you know, something that would help pay the bills for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Worked at a family law office for a little bit, learned uh, a little bit about the court system, which yeah. was, it was nice to be on the other end of it this time. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, after a year, I was like, I can't do this. I can't. I can't be a part of splitting up families and getting oh ridiculous amounts of money divvied up between people. It was awful. That's crazy. So did you, um, just backtracking a little bit, did you go from Georgia straight out to California or did you come back to PA for a little bit? So went down to school in Savannah, Georgia, uh, did my degree in two years. And then I moved to Atlanta for about two or three, hung out there, did some improv down there uh auditioned like crazy anything that was on netflix in like 2016 to or i'm sorry 2017 to 2019 i probably auditioned for one way or another and then i met my girlfriend while i was down there and after that i was like i don't think georgia is the place for me Mm -hmm. moved back up to pa for a hot second moved up to her place in a story in new york spent a couple months up there absolutely incredible uh, the pandy wandy hit. So we were yeah. hanging out there for a little bit and then she got a job offer out here and man, like within two months of that offer, they had flown us out here with all of our stuff. So it was very like, cool. It was very cool. But at the same time, like the night we landed in LAX was the first night of protests in Santa Monica. Okay. For all the cop stuff. So like we landed And all of Los Angeles was completely pitch black. Everything was closed. Nobody wanted to have any part of the protest come through their building or anything. We couldn't stay at the, what do I want to say? The corporate housing that they had arranged for us. Mm -hmm. Matt, I ended up spending like a week and a half in Marina Del Rey, a boat community at a Ritz Carlton for a week and a half. It was it was like I'm watching all this chaos happen in Los Angeles from my ivory tower yeah. <laughs> up in this Ritz Carlton. It was the craziest experience. Oh my. Well, what a way to be thrown in though. Like when when you get there, you're basically it must I mean, I don't know. I I've only seen it on TV. I mean, I live in exactly. Altuna PA. We didn't have yeah. any of that shit going on here, but like what a way to just be introduced to that side of the country. And yeah. you know what I mean? You get off the plane and just chaos is happening. It must've exactly. felt like, like a Kurt Russell movie or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Escape from LA. Yeah, dude. Um, okay. So before we get into you, cause you're, 
boring. Let's get into the interesting <laughs> stuff. No. Um, so I met you through your old band, Animal House. Correct. And you guys, I mean, and I'm not just saying this just to say it. You guys took over PA very quickly. Um, you were obnoxious and loud and everybody knew who Animal House was. The first time um, I met you through Ziggy and I believe, I don't know for sure, but I believe the first time I met you was the first East Coast Tsunami Fest um, with Sick of It All and H2O. And that was at that park outside. And I remember, I think it was you and Ziggy, maybe it was John and Ziggy, but uh, definitely Ziggy handing out the demos as people were leaving. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I actually, I have it somewhere here. It's, I have a pile of old stuff and it's in that pile. I do still have it. And I still have all my animal house shirts and everything like that too. But um, I think that's where I met you. And from then on, you know, we played so many shows together and we had so many good times. Um, I looked up to your uh, older brother, like a big brother Um you guys were all just like, I, I don't know. You guys gave us like, we, we were playing with weight of the crown. We were playing with um, local bands here in Altoona. And you guys were like, our like blood brothers from the other side of the state. You know what I mean? We just, sure, we man. just formed this great connection with you. And I just, I never got over it. I mean, still like if like my son loves animal house and he's nine oh, and like, man. We'll be riding in the car and he he's like, turn on unconditionals. And I'm like, I don't feel like crying today, (laughs) you know, like, can, can we not, but, uh, but we do and we still rock out to it. So anyway, um, yeah, now that that's all out of my system, um, you know, I, I have a very, very deep, close personal connection to what you guys did because the animal house top shelf for me, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, being in that band, um, and ch- just tell me a little bit about like that time for you and, and how, you know, what, what it meant to you and how it kind of led you to where you are now. That's really what I want to get into here. Yeah, for sure. Pennsylvania hardcore in general, let me know that I could get on a stage and affect people. Mm. Uh, I think the music scene is a jumping off point for a lot of people and it beats a lot of people's fears of being in front of people. And I think that's exactly what I needed at that exact time. You know, I really wanted to be an actor. I really wanted to get in front of people and entertain people and everything. And John was like, well, you play drums and you play drums in my band now. And I was like, (laughs) I can't argue with that. He's my old brother, you know? Uh, But man, to be in the room with Ziggy, and John and Schwank and Sean. Yeah. And to like go through a creative process like that, John wrote, I'll say 99% of every song that like he had an acoustic guitar and he had lyrics in front of him. And he said, this is what I have in my head. And to see what Ziggy and Sean could do with that was just incredible. It, It was, it was the most necessary process of creating a creative process, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it was great to see. And it gave me a lot of confidence. Like if these guys have enough trust in me to like convey their art, I can make my own art and be able to do whatever I want with it too. But man, 
talk about meeting people talk about mm-hmm. going to shows and just having like the best friends you're all just messing around and creating this community you know mm-hmm. i think that is the biggest part about it being being able to create art and have a community behind you that supports you well and it was conditionally yeah yeah there you go <laughs> it was such a uh positive environment too like i mean it's funny how you know you guys would play with like we would see animal house with like lifeless and the room would be like throwing chairs and beating the piss out of each other and then like everybody would be like white they would like wipe off their blood and sing along to you know just these anthems that you guys were putting out and it was it was always such a good feeling in the room you know from day one until the very end um just the way that you guys worked with one another, the way that um, you put that energy out into the room, the way John, I mean, John was such a powerhouse of emotion. He, he, he had such a big personality and um, what, what really were his influences to get into singing? And, you know, I never, when I first met John, it was actually before animal house. And it was, um, I think he was doing guest vocals with barricade. That was, yeah my introduction uh, he was in barricade for a minute yeah he did the michelle video with them he did some backup or guest vocals on that but he had this like boss tones sound to him yeah you know john was good at knowing what was good you know Mm -hmm. he could listen to boss tones he could throw on like a sky album or something and he may it might not be his cup of tea but Mm -hmm. he knew this is catchy this is what people like you know yeah. So when Animal House came to fruition, he was like, I want it to be catchy. I want people to feel that inclusion and to be able to like sing along and stuff. So mm-hmm. him and Ziggy always used to say, you know, we'll put in some uh, shalalas and na-na-nas in there and then people will like it. It worked. But, <laughs> yeah. As far as influences, though, like when we were growing up, anything that was on the radio, like that was super popular, Mike, our oldest brother, and John probably had a copy of that somewhere that would go on. John was really into the Foo Fighters. John was really into Nirvana. I would say like big into the, like the grunge punk. Mm-hmm. But then there was just like a switch, man. I want to say that it was like sick of it all or something. Like mm-hmm. New York hardcore in some way got introduced to both of them, both my brothers. And after that, like that was it, man. It was like okay. And then you were, if I remember correctly, you were more into like the Cali punk type stuff, right? I did. Uh, I was very into that, especially like during my undergrad years. Uh, mm-hmm. Man, like Descendants and Bad Religion. That type of course, of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. AFI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. That I mean that that stuff's all I I consider. A lot of that. I was just talking about that um, with Shane Dunlap from Fire in the Blood on the last show. Um, we were just talking about how we consider that hardcore too. I mean, of it course, all just man. all just settles in the same boat. Yeah. If somebody said, you know, like hardcore came in when metal got slow and punk died. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. You know. Um, so you did the Animal House thing for, if I'm not mistaken, you guys were what 2008. I think it was 2010. Oh, really? Okay. It might have it might have been like 09 when we started. Okay. Throwing stuff together, uh, because I know I wasn't supposed to be in like half of the shows we played in the very beginning. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't old enough to be in the bar. Oh, really? Yeah. How uh, old are you now? 
32. Hmm. Okay, I'm 31. So there we go, man. Yeah. So neither of us were supposed to be. No, line. yeah, probably not. No. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, but I, I want to say like officially, Animal House was established in like 2010. Okay. And then I made it through to like 2012. And then I was like, I want to finish my degree and get out of school as soon mm -hmm. as possible. So Jimmy Houston stepped in and he did drums for Animal House. Also of yes. barricade and all that. Yeah, yeah, I know Jimmy. And then um, what was your uh, undergrad in that you were working on? I went to Westchester University of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Strong. Uh, and I got my bachelor's in theater there. Okay. Okay. So this has been where you're at now. This has been a, a work in progress for quite a while. Yeah. Like high school, I got into my first real play, I guess. Really? And then, I mean, John and I, my whole family, mm -hmm. always into stand-up comedy. George Carlin was, you know, right next to a picture of Jesus Christ in our house. Yeah. You know? Me it too. Was just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He, he was the main influence, but I mean, just the storytelling that that created through all of us, which I mean, if you listen to any one of the Animal House songs on that album, John is just creating the most incredible stories that rhyme, that go together, and they're just three, three and a half minutes, bam, mm -hmm. gets it done. I know you hear my, uh, my nine-year-old telling the story of Mickey Dufresne, <laughs> like at least <laughs> once a week in this house. Yeah, and that uh, that song specifically, kids mm -hmm. uh, just were in love with the baseball aspect of it. Yeah. So that's the only line that they would remember. <laughs> baseball game. <laughs> that's so cool, man. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, moving through Animal House, I mean, obviously you guys played all over. You had a huge dent. You put out a really good album. Um, it was it just the original demo and then the album. Was there? Am yes. I missing anything? Okay, so it was just the demo and then Boys of Barley Hill. Yeah, and which I think added like another three songs or something compared to what the demo had on it. But we re-recorded all those songs for the Boys of Barley Hill album. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, and through that time too, I just want to take a, take a minute to say uh, Sean, Schwank, Ziggy, um, all all of them every single one of you guys i had a relationship with and you all influenced me uh in different ways you know uh schwenk obviously through barricade and stuff like that too and ziggy and uh ziggy was always a showman um sean is an out of this world guitar player huge Absolutely. huge influence um i'd love to catch up with him sometime too um and then you know you and i always got along great as well and you know, it, it was just uh, moving through all of that. I just kind of want to get to the end of Animal House so we can get more talking, you know, current. But um, I don't know. How deep do you want to dive into that really, you know? As deep as you as deep want. As deep as you want. Man. Okay. <laughs> so so what happened? How, how did the, you know, tell me, tell me quickly the story of what happened with the band and, you know, we'll move on from there. So... I so sorry. I had approached the guys at practice one night and I was like, hey, would you guys mind finding another drummer? Because I really want to get my degree mm -hmm. and, you know, get out of this. 
everybody was pretty bummed, but luckily Jimmy Jam was there so mm-hmm. he could jump right on in. That was that turned out so well. Uh, man, maybe I'm getting my timeline wrong because John did get into an accident right after a year after mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to figure this out. That's okay. Yeah, you were in a bad accident. I was in a bad accident. I guess that was, man, 2011. 2011 was my accident. Mm-hmm. January 2011, I get into an accident. Wasn't a big deal. Whatever. Uh, I broke a couple bones. I was fine within like a month, month and a half. Mm-hmm. The next year, John gets into an accident of February 2012. That accident took a lot out of him. Uh he had some damage to his face. Mm-hmm. It wasn't very safe for him to be on stage because, you know, obviously, you know, everybody's going crazy at their shows. Everybody wants a piece of the mic. Everybody jumping on top. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So John took a bit of a hiatus. We had another guy come come in, Paul Brown. He sang yep. for Animal House for a little bit. And uh, he was great. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. It took took the front man thing to the next level did a great job did paul sing at the um the memorial show at reverb i don't think he was there for that i don't i I wasn't sure no uh me and mike i think did did at least one track maybe two tracks yeah and and we had so many other people come in to cover those other songs yeah so then john stepped out because of his injuries from that car accident. Mm -hmm. And after that, I think it was kind of inevitable that animal house wasn't ever going to be the animal house that people, you know, remembered. Sure. So after that, it kind of dissipated. And then 2012, towards the end of the year, John had his birthday, November 2012. And then two weeks later, he was complaining about his side hurting him a lot to the point where, you know, he was in excruciating pain, couldn't get out of bed or anything like that. So we took him to the hospital. And the nurses were saying, first, they thought of appendicitis immediately Mm -hmm. and went to the hospital for that. And after a week, he was still in there, and they were like, we don't think this is appendicitis anymore. Uh, so it turned out to be pancreatitis. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, we can't provide the help that he needs right now at this hospital. He's going to have to go somewhere else. So we sent him down to Philly, uh, to Jefferson, very good hospital. And he spent just about two months in the ICU there. <clears throat> very hard. Uh, his, his body was just deteriorating every day. We had to go in like before all this COVID stuff, you know, we would have to go in there with masks. We would have to wear gowns. We would have to wear gloves because we weren't allowed to touch him in case we had anything. And uh, January 6th, 2013, he... I could be getting these dates wrong. I'm so sorry. No, no. 2014? 2014. He uh, started to have a heart attack at the hospital. 
And that is what eventually took him. Mm -hmm. And then after that, man, I mean, even the thought of Animal House or anything like that was just such a heavy weight. Yeah. At all. Like, to li even today, to listen to that album is like still really, really hard. Brother of mine. Oh, yeah. I, I, like, <laughs> it's literally, over. Man, like, I can't, yeah. I can't do it. I can't do I'm it. I'm sure. I'm sure, man. Well, I mean, you guys, um, I mean, anybody that was there at the time can say like, you know, the, the band went through so much and, and in such a short amount of time and had such big impact, but he was your brother. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. so, so there's another. And a brother to so many, man. Like, yeah. seriously, I couldn't go into any room without being like, you're John Barlow's little brother, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, somebody sent me a picture of him not too long ago playing a show with a terrible mind shirt on. And I was just like, oh, I remember <laughs> fucking giving it to him. Like, yeah, you know, I remember me and Jeff fucking handing it. Like, it just, I don't know, man. You know, just he, like, I, it's, I guess, a cliche thing to say, but he's one of those guys that truly gone too soon. You know, for maybe, sure. maybe just too big for the world. Yeah. You know, like just too much personality packed in there and, and too much to give and not enough that the human body can handle you exactly, know? exactly. <laughs> like definitely the biggest personality and the biggest heart you could have found in one of those yeah. rooms back then exactly man so so uh we got through it and now that we're on the other side um <laughs> you know uh rest in peace john barlow amazing guy um and then this whole experience that you've gone through kind of birthed this new opportunity for you to where, uh, as you were saying earlier, you know, you learned that you could get up on stage and perform and, and make people happy in a similar way. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's start kind of getting there now, you know, I'm, I'm really interested because I have to be honest with you. I never knew that you were doing plays in high school and that you were doing your undergraduate in theater. I never knew that you were a theater geek. Yeah. I kind of am too. And that's why, you know, I like, I don't know. Um, I, uh, I kind of had a similar upbringing. Like my dad was always into uh, theater and we were always working backstage on productions and building sets and stuff like that. Very cool. Um, yeah. I got thrust into the middle of a few ended up on stage and some points <laughs> that I didn't necessarily want to, or they yeah. would, you know, need extras here or there. And, um, but it was something that, uh, I always thought would be really fun to pursue, but I didn't. Um, so since you are, <laughs> How's it? Uh, how is it? I mean, like, what's the life like? What's the struggle like? <laughs> life is the struggle. <laughs> life is the struggle. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I went to undergrad and, you know, they set you up for the most basic of careers. You know, mm -hmm. you get a little bit of everything. You're going to do some set building. You're going to do some costume design, you know, maybe some light and sound design. You might try directing for a little bit and throw in some acting here and there. Mm -hmm. But I was really drawn to the acting part. I was mm -hmm. like, I really want to be able to convey human emotion in front of people and like make them feel something. So I was like, let me get my master's degree. And that expanded the whole like career portion of the acting world. I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, which is a very bougie art school super expensive they provide all of these 
movie stars and stuff to come and talk to you and all that stuff. Very cool experiences. Really? Very, very cool. But the professors that I got to work with, mm-hmm. one of them was a Tony Award winner. They had all been in the industry for decades and decades. I had a like a voice and movement teacher, which we do it every single day. We use our voices, we move our bodies and everything. But now I'm getting uh, training into like, how can we take you from Brian Barlow and make you someone completely different? Mm-hmm. So they like really do, they break down like every physical aspect of you and then like maybe have you go a little bit into like your habitual emotional reactions and be like, well, why do we do this? And uh, what makes you feel this way and everything? So it's like taking out a layer of yourself so that you can like really put it all into this character that you're trying to create, which was a very cool experience, which I absolutely loved uh, doing all that work. And then you get to the career part and it's like, okay, I need a cover letter, a resume. I need 17 (laughs) references and you need to have been acting for 30 years already. It's like, yeah, right. Obviously not what I was in. Uh, So as far as, career-wise goes, you're auditioning just about every single day. I'm just throwing myself at productions every single mm-hmm. day. Uh, and you, let's say I'll throw out 24 submissions and I'll hear back from one or two. Mm-hmm. And then you have to do a self-tape. So you have to like re-audition all over again. And then you send that to into them. And then you never hear back. Yeah. Or hopefully they're like, hey, we'll take you show up to this place at this time no kidding so um when you You go in like when you go into an audition cold um does it basically like what you recite in the audition does that really depend on like what they request you know do you come in like with a monologue of your own sometimes it's so honestly since i have been out of school since 2017 i have never been asked for a monologue once okay And when I went to SCAD, a lot of professionals said that too. They were like, you know, you're going to memorize 6,000 monologues and no one's going to ask for them because Mm -hmm. they want you to read what they have already written. You know, they want you to be that character that they need you to be. Okay. They want to see you be Hamlet, you know? So do you get to see it uh, before you go in or do they hand it to you when you get there? Usually you get it beforehand. Mm -hmm. If it is an absolute cold read, they give it to like, before you're about to go into the room, They'll hand you the script and be like, all right, have at it. How do those go? They're nerve wracking, obviously. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you're not working with a scene partner, like another actor. You're working with some PA who's sitting behind the director, reading as plainly as possible. Sure. Um, and the other thing uh, with these cold reads, if you're going in to read for a doctor, they're mm-hmm. going to give you some crazy doctor word. If you're going to read for a scientist, they're going to, there's going to be a word on that script that you have no idea how to say. Really? Okay. So kind of, That's interesting. Just, you just flub your way through it until they're yeah. like, it's actually hematobin. Idiot. <laughs> do, do some of them like just talk to you like you're a complete asshole? Like, 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, I did so many commercial auditions down in Atlanta and they're, they're just so sick of seeing people come through the door at that point. So when you're number 35 of 120, they're like, okay, come on. Yeah. Yeah. What's your name? I don't like it. Keep going. <laughs> That's perfect. That's so like the stereotypical, like casting director stereotype. <laughs> La La Land did like yeah. a great job at showing that. That's hilarious. So, um, so how have, how comfortable are you now? Like you've been doing this for a couple of years. I mean, does it ever get any easier, like walking into a cold audition or, you know, do you kind of have your sea legs with it yet? Definitely. And like growing up with John Barlow, you're able to walk into a room and own it. I'll yeah. It. Yeah. Like, I don't give a fuck about anybody in this room or what anybody's going to think of me. Right. But definitely, definitely still nervous. Even mm -hmm. when I've rehearsed a play for three months and like it's opening night, you still feel it in your stomach every yeah. single time. And I think that's the perfect thing for an actor to or any artist to have. You know, you still have to be nervous that yeah. you're going to go out there and put out a good product for people to watch. Um, and it reminds you that you're human. You know, exactly. That's... And that's the whole point of the yeah. acting part, whether you're playing a human or a monster or a fairy or a wizard, you know, you want to be able just like comedy, you want to be able to connect to the audience so that they, they can feel for that person, you know, they sure. can get on that person's side. So um, what pushed you kind of into comedy? Was that something like that you've just always wanted to do you know I, you said that you started doing improv down in georgia mm -hmm. um but was that just an opportunity that came up or is this something that you specifically wanted to pursue so comedy has always been a thing since day one because you know it was so big in my family and john talked me out of comedy probably when i was in high school or something like that mm -hmm. he was like you have to think about it george carlin was the greatest comedian to ever live and even he had like bad years. Like he mm -hmm. had years that like people didn't show really want to see any of his comedy or like buy tickets mm -hmm. all that much. And this was a guy who was on your television, you know, every couple of months with a new special. Yeah. He was like, every comedian has a downfall. And that made me never, ever want to try to pursue it. So that's why like I kept with the acting thing. I'm reading other people's words somebody's directing me to act this way so it's like if people don't like it it's on these other people not me sure and then you know i've been out here for a while i've been in audition rooms i've seen a billion different plays a billion different ways and i was like you know some people are putting on putting so much pressure on themselves or on a production to be absolutely perfect all of the time people are going to love this and then people are like, oh, yeah, it was okay, or don't give a shit at all, whatever. Mm -hmm. How can I, instead of leaning on these other people to, like, write great scripts or direct me in great ways, how can I put the responsibility back on myself mm -hmm. and do something that I love, say words that I'm going to remember because they came out of my head? So stand-up comedy, I was like, this, this is my opportunity to create whatever I can myself. And Hey, maybe I write jokes for the rest of my life and never say another one because I'm handing them off to somebody else. At least I'm doing, you know, the thing that I love 
so yeah. much. And I'm not sitting at a desk anymore. I'm not pushing paper. I'm not delivering papers over to the courthouse so somebody can get divorced. This just seems much more my style. Yeah, and exactly. Like, I think it's also extremely important for people to laugh. Yeah. I really do believe that it is the best medicine. Like keeping a positive mental attitude changes everything else. And I really think that my time in the band really showed that to me as well. Mm -hmm. We were drinking, we were partying, we weren't getting any sleep or anything like that. We were, we were the rebels, man. We were the bastard sons. You guys of were, you guys were fucking like living <laughs> like rock stars in central PA, like <laughs> yeah, exactly. living like rock stars on minimum wage. You know? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Heading um, down to Delaware, grabbing a bottle of Everclear and then playing a show, you know, even if the music didn't sound great, we were having a great time. Oh man. That's so funny. <laughs> that's it because because i could i could like mentally just put myself right back there i will say that my animal house years were the most fun i've ever had in my entire life yeah. like i if i could i'd i'd go back in a heartbeat just to get a little taste of that but. yeah yeah very good times but um it's it's interesting though you know that you take that with you and i mean i guess you couldn't leave it behind it, it would be impossible to it would um, be impossible at this point you know, yeah now have you bombed yet of course yeah you're not a comedian unless you bomb like right. every every single comedian bombs and i know you were talking about this six week class that you're about to start yeah yeah i that's that's what i did at the beginning of january oh I really took a six weeks class yeah okay just that's to cool. yeah just to it was a class, I'm going to say, of like 12 people it started out, and then it ended up being six. So it's super nerve-wracking for people to do it. But to be able to, okay, I have this premise. I think I have a joke that follows it. Let me try it out in front of these six people. And when those six people stare at you yeah. and don't fucking giggle, they don't yeah. smile or nothing, it's like, oh, this is very humbling. Okay, I'm not, that wasn't as good as I thought it was. I know it's funny because like for a long time, I mean, I've always been a talker and I've always wanted to get up in front of a crowd of people and just own the room, make them laugh, do my thing, get off stage. I've always wanted to be able to experience that. And I never knew where to start. And I same with podcasting. Like I always wanted to do radio and I never knew where to start. Mm -hmm. And I may, I mean, I grew up around DJs. I grew up around like my dad for some reason was friend. I mean, he was friends with local bands and i guess through that he met a lot of people that worked in radio i know all the djs that lived around here and one of them was giving a podcast class one time and i went i sat through his class i did everything i became friends with him i actually ended up doing a podcast with him uh, he's my neighbor now he's a good That's guy awesome. but, but but um really like the truth what it came down to was you know he was like you want to do this and i could give you a million classes and talk to you about radio and everything he said but but in all seriousness like what's your fucking deal? Just sit down behind the microphone and start, you know? And that really is kind of the same thing that I'm feeling with comedy too. Like I'm it, interested in 10% is, you know? And like, I, I have this ability to laugh at myself that I, um, like for instance, okay. So I, my dad calls me the other day, you could get a kick out of this. My dad calls me the other day and, uh, we'll preface real quick. Um, my best friend, Billy Maurer, is uh you know I, i've been tight with him since we were kids 
and you get us together, we can laugh about anything. And he's kind of like the person who I have these conversations with him and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is funny. If we put this on stage, like we could kill. And uh, so anyway, I, uh, I get a call from my dad the other day and I'm talking to him on the phone and I was like, so, you know, I, uh, I saw this thing for stand-up comedy classes and I said, you know, a lot of people in the arts community around here, do you happen to know the person that's teaching this class? And I gave him a name. He said, no, I don't really know. And he said, but why are you uh, doing a stand-up comedy class? And I said, I don't know. It's something I guess I've always been interested in, never really acted on something that you know I, I i think maybe i could give it a try personal growth whatever you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and he goes oh okay you know sure sure i'm like yeah and, and i said i'm thinking about bringing billy with me too because you know we have this energy we kind of vibe and maybe like working on material would be a lot easier than anything and he goes billy and i said yeah and he goes he would be a good stand-up comedian <laughs> he is hilarious and i went wow dad that's kind of the reaction Appreciate I was like, <laughs> yeah thanks for the support pops <laughs> Yeah, it was just like, I was like, man, that is just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but anyway, though, yeah, so, so you kind of just, uh, kind of just hopped on, uh, improv one day and took the dive and yeah. I mean, improv was, that was all of us standing around at a show outside, just bullshitting to me. Mm -hmm. Like that was super easy for me. And then I made it to grad school. And they were like, do you know that you can compete in improv tournaments? And I was like, I had no idea about this. Like, this sounds so cool. But because I was going into the graduate program and not the undergrad program, mm -hmm. I wasn't allowed to compete. But I got to work with all of those kids. We created like a Saturday Night Live sort of show with the school. We, oh, got, cool. to, we got to do months of sketch comedy work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, like the weekend update stuff. We got to do all of that. It was, it was such a cool experience to get to see. That's awesome. That's and really just, interesting. And just to be able to work off the cuff, you know, mm -hmm. just to be able to go with it was just so much fun. And once you find a group of kids that like you really work well with together, mm -hmm. every Friday night we had improv shows and man, the place was packed. Yeah. It was packed, man. It was just, and it's just, a great thing for someone to be able to go to for free, you know, get mm -hmm. to see a bunch of so idiots. Was, do was it like stuff. improv games and stuff like that? Did you do crowd work? So there's short form improv and mm -hmm. long form improv. This was long form. Okay. Short form is the stuff that, uh, what are they? Like whose line is it anyway type Thank stuff? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Whose line is it anyway? Stuff like that. And then long form. I want to say that like my first real introduction to it was actually a Netflix uh, movie okay. called Ass Cat, but it's like A and then seven or nine S's. I can't remember. Cat. Oh, I've seen that. I'd, I've, I've not watched it, but I've seen it. If you ever get a chance, yeah. throw it on there. Like some of the biggest, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, mm -hmm. obviously, and then people from Reno 911, people from here, people from there, just going, uh, you know, they'll start with somebody gives a suggestion, gift. All right. Then mm -hmm. they have a monologist come up and that's somebody who's going to be like, okay, uh, I once received a gift from my girlfriend. And then they go on and they tell this story. And then everybody, all the actors in the back have been listening to this story. Now they come up front and they do a whole show. 
it, oh, okay. it was it was like the coolest thing I had ever seen. So when I got to do it at grad school, I was like balls to the wall. I was like, let's do whatever we can. And it just gives you so much more confidence just walking around in your everyday life. You know, mm -hmm. you're not so hesitant to strike up a conversation with someone or if somebody comes up to you and asks something or get something moving, you know, mm -hmm. it's a friendly encounter instead of like, here's the information you need. Get out of my face. Yeah, sure. Well, that's, that's great because I can tell you too, like I don't have an extensive history of acting or anything. I've done a generous amount with like local theater and stuff like that. And some of the funniest times were always when actors were together just kind of playing those games or doing little improv bits or, you know, warming up before uh, a rehearsal or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just watching the way that people work together and loosen up, it, it's, I don't know. It's crazy how you can practice something like being random and hot off the cuff and you're you still have to maintain being original like as you're doing it mm -hmm. but it, it's it just it's it comes off as strange to me that like that's something that you can practice and get better at because you have to be fresh every time but the more that you do it i guess it's kind of similar to podcasting because like if you listen to my first episode compared to how i talk now for sure like you know what i mean like but um I don't know. I just, I improv has been something that I have always really, really wanted to do and just never did because I see these, like, I mean, when you watch TV, you watch the greats. YouTube has given us a really good opportunity to see um, lower level actors that maybe don't have as much experience in improv, but you still kind of see the same energy trade off on stage. Mm -hmm. And that, it's just something that's always intrigued me. You know, um, one of my, when I was a kid, I mean, we watched Robin Williams like crazy and yeah. he was the king, yeah. um, you know, and then you have other uh, improv kings like Steve Carell, um, Bernie Mac. Dude, you hand him a microphone and he could just go forever. Exactly. Um, you know, and then, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but um, you know, uh, it, another thing that I wanted to bring up too with uh, comedy is I feel like the past couple years for comedy has been kind of a sore spot because there's so many um, people telling you what to say and how to say it. And you know what I mean? Have you, Cancel have you, culture. yeah, yeah. And uh, what's that kind of like be, being, uh, trying to, trying to wear that hat in today's environment? You know, I mean, are you like, are you jumping over potholes? Is it, you know, like what, what is it like? <laughs> I, right now, because I'm so new, I'm really trying to come up with stuff that either comes back on me or mm -hmm. is like a general, Hey, everybody has to buy milk, you know, like right, rid right. ridiculously general. Every man's uh, stuff is funny. Exactly. No, it when is. You, it when just you is. Nail it though, like Brian Reagan is a super clean comic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that guy can connect with any room, man. He's mm -hmm. just so good. And if he's talking about someone who, like, he's trying to show is, like, more idiotic than you or lower intelligence, he's mm -hmm. got, like, voices in order to, like, convey that that aren't super offensive, you know? Yeah. It's trying to find – it's trying to walk that fine line and, like, really nail it. But 
I mean, right now, we were the most uncensored, you know, just growing up. Yeah. Everything that we saw, everything that we did, going to shows and stuff, you, mm-hmm. you saw and heard like the craziest shit. And now it's like the reason, a part of the reason that I want to do stand up is because I know that so many people's inner monologue is not this inner monologue. Yeah. Like they may relate to parts of it, but they might not get as angry as I do or like as passionate about a subject that I would. Right. So it's like really trying to evoke that out of people mm-hmm. and like try to get them on my side. Have I you have, been have you been going to comedy shows? Yeah. Pretty absolutely. pretty regularly. How's yeah. the how's the COVID content? Has it died down a little bit yet or is it still pretty for sure? And yeah. comics are so sick of hearing about it anymore. So <laughs> they don't want to write it anymore either. Right. We saw uh Tim Allen. Did you Laugh, really at the Laugh Factory? Probably oh, in like oh, early January or late December. He's still crushing it, dude. He's yeah. still crushing it. He's it's, funny as fuck. And like he hasn't, you know, really been on your television or been in a movie or anything like that. He's just going between LA and Las Vegas, just talking, just talking at people. Good for him. Good for yeah. Tim Allen. <laughs> Shout out Tim Allen. We know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's cool, man. Um, yeah, I mean, just to the to your point about the everyman comedy um and i talked to uh jason horton about this too he was on my show uh, a couple episodes ago and um you know it, it just seems like you have a couple different kinds of comics that come out you have the ones that uh do like kind of what you're trying to do is you know relate to any room um sometimes that gets mixed in with like a lot of like self-deprecation type comedy and and stuff like that because it's funny to laugh at yourself yeah um but then you have like and and i'm a i'm a big free speech guy i believe that you should be able to go up and say anything but i also believe that just because you're provocative and insulting or trying to be offensive it's not necessarily i think a lot of people equate that with funny because there is that cancel culture type thing. And I think that it has somewhat created a drought in comedy. Like a lot of people are afraid to go out and say certain things. And therefore there was kind of a time, especially over COVID where a lot of comics were just didn't want to say anything that would get them, you know, censored off of social media or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it kind of created this vacuum to where I'm starting to see more comics come out now who just seem to be like trying to be intentionally like provocative. And, and I don't know, what are your thoughts on that kind of comedy? Like, do you think it's reactionary for the times? I think there have always been offensive comics Mm -hmm. just to like throw one out there. Anthony Jeselnik. He talks about dead babies all yeah. the time and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But people find it funny because it's not true. Mm-hmm. We know that Anthony Jesselnick has created this character and has created this tone that, like, he's going to say really offensive stuff and we're going to laugh at it because we know it's not true. And to your point, you know, you'll have people, especially go to an open mic. You want to see people, like, try offensive stuff and completely fail? Go to an open mic. Mm-hmm. It happens everywhere even out here these people try to go for the shock value like you're talking about and you're gonna have 35 gen zers in your audience 
that are just going to stare at you and think yeah. they and make you feel like you're the biggest fucking idiot in the world. You could have talked about anything and you chose this. Like, how do you make a Gen Z room laugh? Make fun of boomers. <laughs> make, make fun of every generation before them because those yeah. are all the stupid generations. You really have to be uh, in the know. You have to, mm-hmm. you got to be on TikTok. You have to be watching Euphoria, the Madeline in Paris, or whatever the fuck the goddamn show is. They're watching all these awful shows. They have all these awful premises. And like, I don't feel as if every man comedy really works for them. Like mm-hmm. they want it a little bit more poignant. Yeah. Hipsters. Yeah, man. Like <laughs> give them an IPA and just have them sit in a room and just get out. Just leave. Right. If Put you get your milk hotel on <laughs> as much of a responsibility as it is for the comedian. Yeah. So like, make that offensive stuff funny it's Mm -hmm. also on the audience to know i'm in a comedy club right now yeah i know that the things that this person are saying may sound ridiculous but they probably don't mean them right because they're a comedian you know right right well and and there is a right and a wrong way to do it and like you were talking about carlin basically the king um you know even man in the mid 90s uh he played here in altoona at the jaffa mosque and i don't know if you remember but he has a bit about like right here right now somewhere there's a guy getting ready to commit suicide (laughs) it's like one of his greatest bits and uh, apparently tons of people walked out on him here in lowly little altoona pa during this bit and it's it's hilarious to me because it's like, number one, you know what you're getting. I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, like I remember as a kid, um, my dad talking about this at the dinner table, you know, like you knew you were going to see Carlin. (laughs) Have you ever listened to him? You know, my dad's a big, big Carlin fan. So um, I heard a lot of those jokes way too early, you know, before I even knew what the hell he was talking about. As you should. As you should. Um, But, you know, I mean, it's just, it's interesting how he could work a room no matter who was in the room. And even still back then, you know, as big as he was and who he was and the the, uh, crazy career that he had before the mid nineties, he could get up and tell a joke that he's already told and still piss people off. You know, he's the headliner. You're in a room with 3,000 people in it and people are walking out because they're yeah. insulted by what you're saying. And it's just, um, I, I don't know. Like, at the time, I would have said, you know, if I like, if I knew what I know about the world now, like at the time, maybe I would have looked at it and said, hey, it's a sign of the times. We're in the 90s. The You know, we live in a conservative town. and the, And, you know, a lot of these topics that have come up in media, this was around the same time as like Eminem and, Mm -hmm. you know, like little Christian towns like mine were freaking out about all of this kind of stuff at the, you know, it was Harry Potter, Harry Potter, get it out of here, get it out of here. No. And then, but it's, it's interesting how, um, at the time, you know, there kind of seemed to be a free speech pushback against all that stuff. And then, we kind of ended up back in the same place, just like with a different mask on, you know? Exactly. Man, somebody was just talking about this. Like they'll, 
they'll change little things about your daily life, little by little. And then as soon as you start to see this change, you know, you push back and you say, hey, you're about to change this thing. And they're like, okay. And they pull back. And then a couple of months later, they push right back in from where they left off instead of like the two steps behind that you originally started. Mm-hmm. I am also all for free speech, comedy, you know, mm-hmm. anything. That's, it's literally, it's, it's the first thing, you know, it's, the it's first supposed thing to be that bastion right of, there. yeah, like that's, that's where it happens. Anybody gets, gets to say whatever they want to say, whatever they feel like they have to say. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the, like the comedy part of that, I'm a big believer that you can make anything funny. Mm-hmm. You cannot have comedy without tragedy in any yep. sense. You can't know? have darkness without light. Exactly. Even if that's just like, you know that this thing, this dark thing or this bad thing exists, maybe you don't have uh, a full vision of what that thing looks like, dead people, whatever, mm-hmm. but you know it exists. And like, for people who are actually in those really dark times or like going through one of those dark situations, a lot of times those people use humor themselves in order to get out of those dark times. And yeah. I believe that there are people sitting in an audience, whether it be uh, in a club or just on their couch, and they can't comprehend that at all. Like, why would you even put the thought of this bad, dark thing into anyone's heads because that's already how you're planting the seed and you're making them feel that way. And it's yeah, like, Louis CK is very good at that. Exactly. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, he has a, he, he, he'll occasionally, th- I, I watch everything that he does and he'll occasionally throw out a bit. Like, um, I don't know if you, uh, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't repeat it on a podcast, but you got to do it now, you know? Um, so do you remember the, the pedophile bit that he did on SNL? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, like stuff like that, where it's like, it's objectively bad. It's just objectively bad, but it's so fucking funny because there's a grain of truth in what he's talking about. And he, he, it's not just that he expands on it. It's the way that he does it. And he, he, I mean, shamelessly with this just like shit eating grin on his face, like, you know, like he just, he knows that somebody's sitting at home throwing their remote at the TV and like, you know, like, I I don't know. There's something about that, that kind of rebellious spirit that I, I mean, to tie it all together that I guess comedy and hardcore kind of share is this, you know what I mean? Like it's in your face. Yes. It's goofy. It's a little bit silly. You know, like if you like look at a hardcore show without the music playing, it kind of looks a little silly, but once you're in it, you get it. And like, I see that it's funny because I never honestly like having conversations like this with people, I never really expected to draw similarities between comedy and hardcore, but it's there, you know? And I feel like even if you go up to anybody at a hardcore show and you're like, Hey, what's the last comedian you listen to? They're going to have a story for you. Like they're going to be like, Oh yeah. I just watched Jim Jeffries, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It's such a freeing feeling. Both of those things like the wisdom and chain song, you're chasing the dragon. How about it though? Yeah, dude. Like either you're going to that show and you're going to jump off that stage and be caught by your best friends 
or you're going to go on another show and put a mic up to your face and you're going to tell a few jokes and hopefully they land. Maybe they don't, but like, at least you have the experience. You had that adrenaline running through you. You felt that dragon, you know, yeah. and you know what you're going to do next time. You know how you're going to adapt to the next room. So speaking of the next room, what is next for Brian Barlow? Is it, so are you going by Brian Barlow or BD Barlow? What, what, what is your stage name going to be? So Brian Barlow is apparently a very common name. Okay. Uh, And like throughout my schooling and all that stuff, like I knew that that might be a thing. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can go onto IMDb and be Brian Barlow, but mm-hmm. if you type in Brian Barlow, six other Brian Barlows might come up. Sure. So I did Brian D. Barlow, mm-hmm. uh, which as far as I know isn't taken, but that doesn't really matter. It's the name that you can get in SAG, the yeah. union for the actors. Okay. Which I'm still not SAG. If anybody is SAG affiliated and is watching this, feel free to uh, get me in there. Yeah, is this like a you you need a reference to get in the union? Yeah, or like obviously be on sets, be on professional mm-hmm. like union sets x amount of times, uh, receive a lead role in one of those productions, that's another way. Sure. Uh, what the fuck were we just talking about? How did I Well, that's okay. That's what happens. I, I, um, I asked you what was coming next. And then I just wanted to get some clarity on what name you were going under, because, um, I mean, I, obviously I know you as Brian Barlow, but, um, I noticed your Instagram was BD Barlow at, which is, which has a ring to it, to be honest. It's, yeah. it, you know, it's a catchy stage name. There's also BD Wong, uh, BD uh, Wong. There's a very famous Asian actor. He used to yeah. be on Oz and stuff like that. I think okay. he did one of the law and orders or something. I would love to go by BD Barlow if people wouldn't be like, well, he's taking his name now, but we'll see. Eh. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) So essentially like you're saying about podcasting and stuff like this, this guy was like, well, what do you got? You just got to go out there and do it. That's Mm kind of how stand-up comedy is too. Mm -hmm. You just have to hit as many open mics as you can network with people. Hopefully somebody sees you somewhere and they're like, Hey, you want to do this show for us? Uh, I now have footage that you've seen on Instagram. I have a five minute. It's set. good. Thanks. It is. It, it It is. It's good. I'm I'm not just saying that because I like you. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I, I consider us friends. If it was bad, I would tell you. No, I'm kidding. It's I, I, I really honestly enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Thank you. I And like that was like a month of writing mm-hmm. and then a month of perfecting, like going back, reformulating, changing things up. And that was a really cool process to go through as well. So you just show up at like a random open mic and try it out. I have one very close to me. That's where I took that class from West side comedy theater in Santa Monica, California. Um, It was very cool. It was a very good experience. And they do have more classes to go on after this, like very uh, intro class, Mm -hmm. but it's like, I might as well as just go do five mics a week and work at it that way instead of, you know, dedicating two or three hours a night to going to a class to do it in front of people and watch others do it. It's a lot of workshopping. Exactly. And that's, that's all stand up is, you know, you're going out there and you're shipping away at whatever you got. Cool. Um, who are your biggest influences? George Carlin. No For sure. One. Yeah. 
I was also a huge Bernie Mac fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that even that sitcom he had, I was like, come on, man. Jim Jeffries, uh, Laurie Kilmartin. She writes for uh, Conan O'Brien a lot. Cool. Her and uh, Anthony Jesselnick. Jesselnick, mm-hmm. another one. Yeah, he's he's great. They used to do a bunch of uh, writing for like the late night shows and stuff together. So I mean, just absolutely killer work. Mm-hmm. Uh, another guy out here, Fahim Ansoir. Mm-hmm. Super good. He does a lot of character stuff. And I just recently saw, I went to, uh, oh man. Uh, Matt, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I, uh, I was always big, obviously, with like the 90s SNL cast, um, especially Kevin Nealon. Adam Sandler, you know, like that group, the the Rob Schneider, the absolutely, yeah, you know, like they they were the kings. Um, and then when I got, I didn't watch like In Living Color or um, Upright Citizens Brigade or anything like that until like later. Mm-hmm. But watching like old Rob Corddry or Rob Riggle or um, just all of that old Jim Carrey, like way old Jim Carrey, um, that stuff, Patrice O'Neill, one hundred percent obviously joe rogan um shane gillis shane dude dude come on i've been on a i've been on a shane gillis kick big time matt and shane secret podcast yeah you you can't get better right now i've been listening to it and uh did you watch the gillian keeves sketches yes man how incredible how funny uh a girl that i went to westchester with was actually the bride in oh the really? Scene, yeah, where Shane Gillis is blind. <laughs> yeah, he's from uh, Mechanicsburg. Mechanicsburg. Yeah. As soon as he opened up his mouth, the first thing I heard him on, I can't remember what it was. I was like, "This guy's from PA." Yeah, yeah. And then I discovered discovered him and Matt McCusker and all that. Just incredible yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, Gillis is very funny. He got shafted hard on SNL. He got. Like, look at what it did for. And I like, know. That's that's the other part of cancel culture. Now these people are getting two or three times the amount of recognition because they need to be canceled. And he totally didn't deserve it. Like, I, I mean, I'm not really here to be political, but that dude, like he's an artist and he takes risks like any other artist does. You're listening to a comedy podcast. You have to yeah at some point realize that it's all a joke it's all exactly time. and he's and his sketches are very funny sleep cop was i i mean i was laughing so hard i had to pause it um what's the other one his have you seen his trump yeah like i've seen so many people do trump and they didn't come anywhere anywhere close to him like everybody thought alec baldwin did the best trump shane gillis has the best Trump. yeah for sure for sure and like at the same time grew up in a working class you know town Mm -hmm. uh mechanicsburg has like what a a dog food factory or a cat food factory so i mean like you're you're talking about you know people people here yeah yeah so like not only can he do the impression but he can connect with people who feel the same way Mm -hmm. as donald trump so like that's what that's what makes that character Exactly. They got that new kid on SNL and like, that's all he does. He does Trump and Biden and like, that's it. Oh, really? Fuck you. I haven't, I haven't seen, I honestly, I hate to say it, but like I gave up on SNL. I get it. I get yeah, it. I was a big SNL fan. I really love sketch comedy and it's just not funny anymore. Like, I don't know if it's like, are they just afraid to push boundaries? Yes. 
and like, like and like that is obviously the world that entertainment has to live in right now i guess and, yeah. and snl is on one of the biggest networks in you the have, world yeah like corporate administration probably they you know they don't want any waves and you know. they also have to cater to the new generation because the new generations who's going to be watching snl for the next 30 40 years you know actually i do think that i saw the biden impression though i love uh political comedy i don't care where what side it comes from it's yeah. always funny and um no the biden one wasn't very good because i feel like there's so i mean biden's funny you know regardless of if you like yeah. him if you hate him biden is Absolutely fucking true. like that was like trump you know like obama you kind of had to make him funny because obama was a, a pretty serious president i mean like he was very involved in pop culture and he had like a friendly demeanor about him so like to turn him into a character i don't know like who who did it jordan peele did it really well um but trump obviously like that was you know there were so many like low bars for comedy surrounding donald trump like there was not very much it, it was just low bar after low bar but but biden i feel like there's I, I don't know. Are people afraid to be insulting or be offensive about like Biden's quirks? I don't know. I feel like Trump got so much of so much time while he was in that people mm -hmm. are like, I don't even want to fucking think about the president. I don't want to. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't give a shit about the White House. And obviously the world today is much different than when Trump was in office. Yeah. Literally the last three days, you know, we're going through. It's wild. Possibly the beginning of World War III. Who knows? Let's hope not. Yeah. And I mean, what the fuck is Biden going to say about that? He doesn't. He's almost 80 years old. Like, just let the guy die at this point. <laughs> yeah, man. And so do you do any impressions anyway, though? No, it's not. <laughs> none, that, that none, that you, none that are ready. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, nothing political or anything. I kind of do a Bane impression in my act, but... <laughs> Even that, people look at me and they're like, I know you just said Bane and I know you just did that voice, but what the fuck was that? So, <laughs> something I'm working on. That's awesome. Um, So basically, uh, you know, let's just talk about the future real quick here. Um, You know, what uh, is your plan to just stick with auditions at this point and, and, you know, you're trying for whatever roles you can get? Yeah, so obviously I've been throwing submissions out. Mm -hmm. filming callbacks whenever I need to, mm -hmm. but I'm not getting a big response back after those callbacks, which could be 10 billion different things, but you'll never hear about it. You'll never know. Representation is something that I'm really trying to get this year. Yeah. And part of doing stand-up comedy is getting me in a room in front of someone. Mm -hmm. So who knows what, stand-up comedy will bring maybe someone will eventually see me and be like hey could i represent you which mm -hmm. is just having somebody else do all your submissions for you but mm -hmm. at least you have a company name behind you saying like hey we know that this person works right. well and can put out a good product so that is really the big thing right now trying to get into as many rooms as possible i know i have this five minutes of stand-up right now mm-hmm by the end of the year, I would love to have a half hour. I would love, or, or an hour even, you know? Right. But and you have, 
but you have done some some short film work you've done some sketch work yes so so tell me a little bit about that so far your Um, I mean, you don't have to go into your extensive, but you know, like what, what, what are the, uh, some of the things that you, I, I mean, I've seen some of the things you've done, but I want to hear you talk about it. Uh, most of my stuff is done back at uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a film with a director named Carson Ironson called The Four O'Clock. Mm-hmm. And that was like my first taste of like getting on camera. Mm-hmm. And that was such an amazing experience. Uh, it's very weird. It's very quirky, I should say. Uh, maybe a little more like 80s comedy than anything else. But man, just what a thing to finally experience. Like you, yeah. you see all these films, you see all these television shows. And then when you get on set, you realize that there's like an army of people behind the scenes making everything happen yeah uh i didn't i couldn't believe how long it would take to like change lighting for a scene that was even in the same room we're just filming it from like a another side man man those people are working constantly yeah uh uh big fan of the unions iatsi mm-hmm. um and like this uh snl thing that we did back in the day too just to be in a writer's room and to have so many voices uh, having influence, even like, even if it is your project, all right, I wrote this sketch. I think this is great right here. And then five other people come in with like, well, what if we changed X, Y, and Z? And it's like, it just grows exponentially from where, from where it really was in the beginning, much like stand up comedy, you know, you write this one joke people are laughing at a completely different part than you thought that they would laugh at. And like you create this whole new thing because of it. And instead of it being 30 seconds, now it's like two minutes. Sure. Uh, Trying uh, while I was out here in the beginning was writing some stuff with a few alumni friends. Hopefully that will pick back up. But I mean, right now it's really stand-up comedy that I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. Really just trying to write as much as I can and get in front of as many people as possible. That's awesome. I respect that ambition because you, you did, you moved out and you did it, you know, and that is, that's saying a lot, you know, that's a, a huge risk. And, you know, I, I, I'm glad to see that you're starting to get the rewards of it. I mean, even in, in small part, you know, you're five minutes and then eventually a half hour. And, you know, these are the, it's just really cool to see somebody that I know, like climbing the steps and, and with your head up, you're happy. I see your headshots come out on Instagram and I'm like, I'm like, look at him, man. Like <laughs> he's just, doing it. He's doing it. No, it makes me happy for you, man. I, I really am. I, I think it's super cool. Um, and uh, before we wrap up here, there was uh we are on a hardcore podcast. So top five hardcore albums, no pressure. I'm going to have to go with my number one, which was the first album that was purchased for me uh, by my oldest brother, Mike. That's going to be Ignite a Place Called Home. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, And dude, that guy, what an incredible voice. Yeah. Place Called Home. Bleeding. No, 
bleeding wasn't on a place called home was it possibly yes god i'm gonna have to look it up now i know i i haven't dude i haven't that was that album place, in so long place called home had veteran on it yes yeah uh sick of it all blood sweat tears great album I'm going to throw it out there just because I was so influenced by it. As soon as I heard it, uh, blood for bloods outlaw anthems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I was in like fifth or sixth grade, man. I could not take that album out of my Walkman. Uh, anything by end it right now. Okay. From Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah. No. So good. I slap their stickers all over Santa Monica, California, whenever I can. Do you know anybody in that band? I do not. No, uh, just a big I, fan. Yeah, I'm just a huge fan of End It. I love their shirts. I love their message. I love everything about them. Yeah. Just absolutely incredible. Yeah, they're a really cool band. Uh, by the uh, way, Bleeding was not on A Place Called Home. Thank you. It was Who Sold Out Now. Who Sold Out Now? Yeah, that's what, it's, that's what it opened with. That's a great album. Um, okay, so you have Ignite, Sick of It All, Sick of it all. Blood for Blood. End it. End it. You got one more. And Barry Manilow's. Um, <laughs> <sighs> I think I'm going to give it to. I think I'm going to give it to Barricade Be Heard. Really? Okay. So, That's man. a great album. That was a great album. That was a great time in life. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's. Mm -hmm. But I think be, that, be heard, not demons. Be heard. Demons. Yeah. You're showing. Dude, yeah. But you're showing your real OG stripes with be dude, heard. Come on. When be heard came out, you wanted, you wanted to spin kick somebody in the face. Yeah. That was, that was quintessential 2004. Yeah. 2005. Yeah. Tough guy hardcore, man. Mm -hmm. That was good. Shit. Yeah. The artwork too was so cool the dude holding the ball bat yeah <laughs> yeah i love that album i remember uh ziggy told me after demons came out um ziggy i i was joking around with him about like just i i think i might have just been telling him how awesome demons was and i was like i wish that you guys would throw some songs from be heard into the set because like they moved on to demons and like they stopped playing songs off of be heard so much he was like, nah, dude. No, nah. I was like, no, really? That album <laughs> fucking it. rules. Yeah, like there's so much good uh, shit on that album. Yeah, they had a lot of cool stuff. That was a great band. Um, okay, well, uh, is there anything uh, before we wrap up? Is there anything you want to mention? Any plugs? You know, floor is yours, uh, man. If you would like to follow me on Instagram, mm. it's BD, as in Brian Daniel, underscore Barlow, B-A-R. L-O-W. Um, hey, if you're in California, if you're in Southern California, you want to come on out to Santa Monica, hit me up. That goes for anybody, including you, Matt. Yeah, I would love to. Someday, I might, I might just take you up on that, or maybe I'll just show <laughs> up at your door. Dude, we got a room for you. All right. Well, hey, it is uh, such a pleasure talking to you. We're going to wrap it up here. So, uh, Brian Barlow, thanks for coming on the show. Matt, thank you so much. Have a great day. <laughs>